to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Bullock. People, organizations, and communities need to prepare for and respond to natural and man-made disasters in a timely manner and in the most effective way possible. Our program examines what is being done before, during, and after a disaster and those unexpected events to keep you in the know. Disasters can happen to anyone. The question is, when will it happen to you? Now, here is your host, business continuity and disaster planning expert, Alex Bullock. Welcome to another episode of Preparing for the Unexpected. I'm your host, Alex Fullick, and as always, we like to talk about things related to resilience, well-being, crisis management, business continuity, anything that helps you, your organization, or your community prepare for, respond to, and overcome adverse situations. If you'd like to be a guest on the show, please feel free. You can find me on LinkedIn. I'm the only Alex Fullick there. I'm really easy to find, and I do respond to everything I get. It is near the end of the month, so that means it's another time and another chat with Regina Phelps. Regina, welcome back. Alex, it is so good to see you. I missed not talking with you last month, so this is great. This is only our second time so far in 2023, and we have lots to talk about, of course. We do. We always have lots to talk about and share some laughs and uh, other things. Uh, now, what are we going to talk about? Because uh, we're not going to touch on COVID today. Well, we kind of are, but not yes. the way we normally do. Right. So, yes, we are not giving a COVID update or an RSV update or a monkeypox update or tuberculosis update or a polio update. No, we're not going to do any of those things today. We're going to actually just talk about, oh, I don't know, what's going to be happening next in our world. There is so much going on. And a lot of it actually is driven by the pandemic. And so we're going to touch on that and really look at the future of work and also something called polycrises. So that's our our topics for the day. Should I dig in? That's not another disease, is it? No, it's not. It does sound like like one, though, doesn't it? It does. Polycrises (laughs) does sound like a disease. Yeah. 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 So uh, do you want me just to dig right in? Sure. Yeah. Let's get started. Okay, great. Wow. We're actually starting. It feels like early, right? So let me. It does. It does. So, um, so what I'll be talking about today is what about what's next. So we've been talking about the pandemic. If you've been following Alex and I for some time, we've been talking about this for uh, well, you know, we're this is starting four years, right? So the pandemic uh, had its official anniversary just last week. So yeah, it's been four, and we're now into the fourth year. Uh, but there are a lot of things to really talk about that um, that impact us. So I'm going to drill down on some impacts of the pandemic, and in particular, the societal impacts that have impacted individuals, but also globally, because your audience, Alex, is global. It's good that we actually have that global mindset. And then look at that in relationship to the future of work. And then I want to talk about this concept of a polycrisis and and um, and drill into that as well. So there's a lot going on in the world, as you and I were just talking about as we were getting ready to start this session. There is a lot happening. And a lot of this actually is driven from the actual pandemic. So um, there are these individual and societal impacts that are specific to the pandemic. Last time we talked in January, we talked about broad historical impacts of the pandemic, which, by the way, were all also in the COVID-19 pandemic. But these are ones that are uh, we're seeing specifically related to COVID. And so, um, and as you see on the image of this slide right here, one of the biggest issues we've had is, is really the degradation of trust across, oh my gosh, individuals, families, businesses, government, uh, healthcare. It's been really a significant societal shift that really has impacted all of us in one way or another and has a kind of an overarching uh, coloring, if you will, of the pandemic. So this decline of trust in particular, and we're uh, just because the fact that you're knowledgeable, educated, maybe a physician, somebody highly skilled in a particular area, that doesn't necessarily mean that people are going to listen to you any more than somebody who just read an article on Facebook, which is a little horrifying. And this is really this misinformation, disinformation campaign. And there's been a lot more, more details about that. But this trust issue is also important because it impacts us. 
we in our profession are the experts in resiliency, crisis management, communications, a whole host of categories. But that doesn't necessarily mean that people will trust us like they may be used to three years ago. And that's something I think you need to think about as you're building a program, building uh, uh, different aspects of that program and doing exercises and so on, is that we really need to think about we're constantly in the need now to rebuild trust because people look at everything with some suspicion, I'm afraid, which is kind of sad, but it really is true. Yeah. It really yeah. is true. You see it on everything. It, 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 and I think social media, because you mentioned it, had had a big part in that. If mm-hmm. you had fear of COVID or fear of something happening, you weren't talking to your physicians. You weren't talking to the business continuity people. You were talking to strangers out in the right. netherworld. Right. And that's where you're getting information. And that's, right. that was feeding. Someone. Who got their health information from the University of Facebook. <laughs> yeah. And we're just, which is just horrifying to me. Yeah. But it's, it's true. It's true. Well, I, I do want to say something. I don't know yeah. if anything like this is happening down in the U.S., but up here in Ontario, the Ontario uh, Health Ministry now has a commercial running on TV, radio, social media sites that says stop looking at social media and going down a rabbit hole. Mm-hmm. If you have a question about health, call, um, I think, the, what was it, telehealth or health Ontario mm-hmm. and talk to someone with knowledge. Stop. Wow. Stop finding your information, you know, online type thing. That's so, great. I'm uh, glad to see that. I don't know no, if we're I was doing glad that to here in the US, but I would hope so. Um, that's that's important. Um, yeah. And we could talk a lot about that. But that mm-hmm. I think what 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 the impact is is that it's not just again, it's not just health, it's everybody who's an authority on a particular topic. And many of us in our field are that in our organizations. And we have to think about how we continue to build trust. And that's really important because this major disc- decline is not just trust of distrust of what you know, but it can be the actually the, the decline in the trust of people. So they're not only doubting what you're saying because of whatever knowledge you might possess, but now they might also just, just generally distrust you. And that's also something that I think we have to think about in the kind of work that we do. What we do is in our work, we need people to trust us in order to move forward. We certainly have seen um, equalities exacerbated during the whole pandemic across the world where there's been race and ethnicity, lower income individuals, different religions have been targeted like anti-Semitism. This has been a big issue and can be a big problem within an organization, again, that is multiracial, LGBTQ. I mean, there's just all of these pressures that make these inequalities um, a problem. And from a perspective of communication, building trust, building a program, recovering your business. I mean, just look at the just the sheer number of disasters every single day that are going on. The catastrophic tornadoes that happened here in the United States just over the weekend. You know, that takes a lot of trust to rebuild a community. And for those of your listeners who might be more on the emergency management side, that's the kind of things that they have to deal with every day. But businesses in those regions, rebuilding, rebuilding that trust is really important. And and it doesn't help when politicians, and we won't go down this rabbit hole, uh, they call it the, you know, what is wokeism or something. But those politicians complain about people understanding race and ethnicity and income disparities and things like that, just talking about it creates even more problems. Right, right. And there's certainly, I, I, I'm sure probably to some extent you might have some of this in Canada, but in the United States, we are on fire with that issue. And the wokeism is a great example. Or if you ask most politicians who complain about it, can't even define it, but they put everything under that category. Yeah. Which gets to the fourth issue, which ties in very nicely to your comment, which is the issue of political divide. The United States is the most polarized in my adult life. Uh, I've ever seen, and that's 70 years. And uh, it is really an issue where people, you know, they they present their their whole life, their ideology is through this political lens. It's how people identify themselves. Uh, and, and, it, and it can be a problem in the workplace where you've got different 
individuals from different parties. And if they have to work closely on a project, you know, there's an undercurrent there um, about what party you might be in or what your beliefs are and who you might vote for. And and I've never seen this in my entire uh, voting life here in the United States. And it's really scary and kind of horrifying at the same mm-hmm. time. And a lot of that, of course, is driven by the thing that we've talked about a lot over the course of the pandemic, which is the misinformation, disinformation. And what I would say to you is that, again, misinformation are those things that are false information that's spread, but it's not, you know, it's not intentional. Where the disinformation is deliberately misleading or biased information that's actively spread. And you see that a lot on social media, a lot of that through uh, both uh, influencers who might have a certain um, belief system, but you see that a lot through bots. Uh, I was just catching up on an article that I'd read in LinkedIn this morning that was or sent to me by one of my colleagues. And it was an article that was in The Guardian, uh, which is the English newspaper, last month. And I had missed it. And it was about not only is this disinformation just you know within bots being deployed, let's say, but there are aggressive campaigns with certain uh, countries around the world pushing large amounts of disinformation on things such as Twitter and Facebook, but and also all the other major uh, social media platforms, but also on email. Mm-hmm. And they specifically in this article called out Russia, they called out China, and they called out, um, uh, there was one other, oh, India, which I thought was really interesting. And so... Again, if you're not getting information from the major outlets, then you need to really think twice about it and be so careful of things that you read, which again also feeds back in some ways to the decline in trust, right? Because now we don't know if things are real. So then what do we, you know, then we're like, oh, who should I believe? And that becomes a problem too. It's like you, a a person or a group of people will get themselves stuck in a loop. Right. And and they'll just start going down this rabbit hole. Right. And then they just spin, right? They spin, 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 spin. And then they are hopelessly lost. Yeah. And I certainly, I I personally have not had anybody in my family or any of my friends that have done that. I have many friends who have family members or other friends who have done that. And, And they talk about how it's just amazing to hear the rationalization that people have when some of these more bizarre theories like QAnon and others that are really prevalent in the United States, mm-hmm. really driven by this ability to connect with so many people so rapidly. So these things are something that we as 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 managers in the field of resiliency, risk, crisis management, communications, we need to have these things in the back of our mind because our work requires trust and it requires the ability to bring people together under sometimes really difficult times. And this makes it harder for us. But it also affects uh, the globe. And uh, again, this is really important to understand. Even though you might be listening and you either work in a city in a particular country or perhaps you work in an organization that has limited locations, and you may say, well, it really doesn't matter to me. And what I would say to you is that now more than ever, what happens anywhere in the world is a big deal because the impacts can really have a major effect anywhere. And all of us that are in the field of business and resiliency in particular, we have to keep this in the back of our mind. So we have to broaden our view when we read the news and not just be myopic about where we live or where our organizations actually work. We have to be broader in our scope. And these are really important ones. And, they're, and I'm going to come back to these in a different slice in just a little bit. But The financial hardships, of course, around the world have been really significant. And a lot of this has been driven by two things, really inflation, of course, and and, and many countries have had, some have had really rampant inflation. Uh, My clients in Argentina had 100% inflation for the 2020, 2021, and 2022. 100%. That's like just burning your bills, right? I mean, they're just worthless almost overnight. Uh, some countries in their world are already in recession. And, and then those countries that are uh, receiving foreign aid from many different uh, in many different countries like Canada, United States, the EU, and others have really seen a decrease in aid because of all the issues related to COVID. 
and also, to be frank, with the Ukraine war as well. Uh, so that's been a significant issue. And so financial hardships, again, have cascading effects. And that's what you see as you look down the list of these things. They're all connected. They don't stand alone. So the global instability, when you have financial hardships, hardships, of course, make great sense because people either need to migrate because they can't feed their families, they can't get jobs. It begins to cause instability. So certainly the Ukraine war was incredibly destabilizing, pandemic incredibly destabilizing, but then that's impacted other areas. So I think of supply chain disruptions, that's all tied to this. So it's all linked together. So we as as resilience professionals cannot be myopic. When we read the news, we have to think more broadly because you may think, oh, this doesn't impact me at all. And I would say baloney, both financially, Mm -hmm. both in supply chain issues, food distribution, food insecurity, these things impact everybody. Food food insecurity is another related issue and and threats of famine, especially in Africa, which was hugely impacted by the war in Ukraine uh, because they get so many grain shipments. And you may say, well, again, this doesn't really impact me. Well, you know, actually it does, because what happens is that then you start to have a lot of migration and that has caused a huge destabilization of several regions in Africa that were actually doing fine before the pandemic. Now they are destabilized, and that means that those are also places where you might get supplies, you might get raw goods, or something that you use in your company might come from there. Not what you buy, it's not going to be necessarily the first thing on maybe a list of items, but it could be somewhere where it's super important. So you can't be so naive. And if you're doing your supply chain management properly, it doesn't necessarily have to be the main supplier. It could be further down the train that... uh, or trail that still impacts you. That is that is absolutely spot on. And you're seeing that right now with a particular drug in Canada, United States, and around the world, which is abuterol. Abuterol is a drug that's given to individuals of that uh, maybe even daily for folks that have asthma or other lung conditions like COPD. But when you go into a hospital, there's a certain kind of abuterol that they use, which is a liquid abuterol, and they put it in a nebulizer so you're breathing it in a mist kind of format, it's almost impossible to get right now. Why? There's a bunch of little ingredients that go into a buterol, and those come from a whole bunch of little places. And most of the buterol is made in China. Mm. So they had a kind of a big issue when they started their zero COVID, when it let loose, large numbers of cities shut down, Lots of disruption to the supply chain again, and that now has caused a supply shortage worldwide of abuterol. Hmm. Who knew? So even if you think like I'm not, I'm not planning going to the hospital. My kid has asthma. Oh yeah, okay, that's a problem. You have to be really careful and think about where you're going to get that if you need it. And then lastly is crime, and crime affects everybody. And in America, they've talked about crime extensively, and it's like, oh God, it's only just us. No, there has been huge rises in crime worldwide Mm -hmm. and all kinds of crime, petty crimes, car thefts. Like there was a, oh my God, this is another social media thing. There was a video on TikTok about how to steal two kinds of cars, Kias and uh, what's the other one? Starts with an H. um, Hyundai? Honda, yes. So what happened in the car sales or car thefts worldwide? They all went up, not not just driven by those two sales, cars being stolen, but they were the most commonly stole cars <laughs> because there was a very simple video on TikTok about how you could steal either one of those brands in less than 60 seconds. My God. Uh, but there's also been all kinds of large increases in criminal uh, gangs, uh, ransomware gangs, and others. Those all impact us societally, but also uh, us personally and our businesses. So those are, that's an undertow that is all directly tied to the pandemic, worsened by things such as the war in Ukraine. So I wanted to that, add one thing because you yeah. mentioned migration. It's human nature throughout history for people to move. 
Yeah. What you know, from one climate to another, region to another, when they can't meet their basic needs where they are. Right. It's not a ethnic thing. It's not the color of your skin thing. It's not a religious thing. It is human being survival. Right. You can't it's, feed your kids. You can't eat yourself. It, it's part of our our being to move when the, our basic needs aren't being met. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Do you want to take a break now or do you want to go a little bit longer? Uh, let's take a, well, how how long are you going to be on the next slide? Because oh, we only wow. have four minutes to, to for that. So Actually, I could do the break. intro. I could do the intro and then we could sure. stop. That. Okay. Um, so what I want to do now is I want to basically take everything that we've talked about. And what I want to do is I want to tie it to the future of work. Because of the impacts of the COVID pandemic, certainly the economic issues that the world has been facing, and everything I've talked about, there's a lot of issues for us to think about in the work that we do. And so when we come back from our break, we're going to talk about the future of work based on the lens of everything I've just talked about. And on that note, we are going to take our break. We're talking with Regina Phelps once again, and we will be right back. Follow Voice America at Facebook.com forward slash Voice America for juicy updates from your favorite radio shows and podcasts. Are you ready for a disaster? If you are like many people in the world, that answer may sadly be no. Disasters happen unexpectedly to people just like you every day. Tune into Preparing for the Unexpected with business continuity and disaster planning expert Alex Fulick. The show will not only help you better prepare for a disaster itself, but also to prepare you, your place of employment, and community for the aftermath emotionally, financially, and with a better level of awareness and a stronger feeling of resiliency. Tune in Thursdays at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. Voice America is on LinkedIn. Connect with us today. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Fuller. Email your questions to info at stone-road.com. Again, that's I-N-F-O at stone-road.com. Now back to Preparing for the Unexpected. Welcome back. Today we are talking with Regina Phelps. And Regina, just as we uh, got to the end of our first segment, we are now going to talk about the future of work. Yes, we are. You know, the, the impacts of everything related to the pandemic that we just talked about have a huge impact on the future work. And that's really what I want to tease apart. And uh, I'm just going to dig right in here. So there's kind of eight possible outcomes of the future of work here. So obviously, the first thing is this issue of hybrid and remote work. Uh, It's increasingly mainstream. And now people are, there's some like people thinking now with the economy getting tighter and employers saying like, oh, like maybe you need to be back in the office more if that's going to change. But my sense is that's not going to change. And I think we need to plan for that. So what I really am asking all of my clients to do is that you had better be looking at what your continuity plan is for all these remote workers you have. Like what is, like say if if there is a a power outage that affects a large region that you might be in, or you've got people all over the place 
I mean, do you physically know where they are? Are you kind of monitoring what might be going on in those areas through your security operations center, you know, utilizing some sort of app about issues related to power outages or other kinds of events? Because it's not just that you have offices, you've got people distributed all all over. So, and that could be, you could have a critical uh, work uh, performance issue that's being done at a particular location in the country because that's where five or six people live and work. And now that's not getting done. So I think we have to broaden our vision about what it means to have people in a variety of places. And you have to think more broadly about power outages, uh, issues with the internet, connectivity related concerns, all related to that. And then also, of course, always having that undercurrent of cybersecurity with all of these remote folks with all of that customer and company information that is going to be, again, zooming into somebody's house, utilizing Mm -hmm. VPN, making sure that you've got the most appropriate ways to secure people actually connecting to your environment is really important. So this is something that most of my clients have not thought much about. They just think like, oh, okay, we're working remotely. And yeah, there's some cybersecurity issues we need to think about. But what about their ability to produce work on a daily basis uh, based on wherever they are in the world? And if, uh, you know, if you are doing critical work for me, Alex, and you're in in Canada and all of a sudden something happens up there, do I have the ability now to shift that work to somebody else who might be in an area that's not affected? Mm-hmm. And I know where mm-hmm. that person is and I know what's going on. So it's, you know, it's a little bit different than it used to be back in the old days. Yeah. So I think that's important to think about what that means. And then also the fact that, again, I, hopefully that we're doing more things collaboratively. We're utilizing more platforms more effectively like MS Teams and Zoom and other platforms so that we actually get things done more effectively. I, I'm actually talking almost all of my clients out of doing any exercises face-to-face because in reality, if there's a crisis, they're not going to spin up a team and go into a room and be all breathing on each other. For a lot of reasons, a lot of people aren't even in the same area anymore. So this idea of remote exercises, remote uh, command centers, remote management of events is something that is real, happens every day. So if you're doing exercises, you should be planning on all of those being virtual and continuing to refine those processes so they're being done correctly. Um, less middle management. I've already started to see this and you're seeing this now in lay in layoffs with the uh, number of layoffs going on around the world. There's less people in the middle. Why don't you think there's, why do you think those people are at risk, Alex, those people in the middle? Oh, well, well, there's all kinds of reasons, but now because with people being remote, uh, the old way is those people were, or different way of saying it's probably a better way of saying this but they were watching you right they they could see you now that now that a a vp or somebody higher can do that exact same thing right and 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 you're you know there is a i think there's a better sense now from a perspective of people that are working at home uh in a hybrid format or in a fully remote format is that you are being measured on your deliverables so you know, it's pretty clear if you're doing your job or not, right? So it required companies to be clear about what the deliverables were, and it required you to actually have to meet them. So then why do you need those people in the middle whose job is to really watch over you when it's really clear what your job is and you're just basically doing it? So there has been a big drop, and I have seen in my clients in middle management. And you're certainly beginning to see those in the individuals that are probably getting uh, rift right now in the reduction in workforce, right? Mm-hmm. So what we need to think about is how does that impact continuity, right? If you're seeing a shift in organizational structures, you know, was that person critical somehow in your business continuity process in that department or group? You know, so don't be blind as a resiliency professional. You need to, if there's really big shifts going on in your org structure, you need to think about how that really ultimately impacts you. Because they might have been key in some way in your business processes. Maybe they were the providing oversight for continuity plans in particular departments, and now they're gone. So who's doing that? And how is that working out? And are you picking up somebody else? Or, you know, 
Yeah. Be smart uh, because things are shifting. And what we're seeing now with more and more layoffs, at least here in the United States, is that this is becoming a concern and people need to think about it. Are you seeing layoffs in Canada? Yes. Yeah. Some of the one, the ones that you uh, are probably seeing in the U.S., you mm-hmm. know, the, uh, I don't know, Disney or somebody, you know, laying off 10,000 people or whatever their number is, you know, some of those people will be up here. Mm-hmm. And that's with a lot of the technology companies that are uh, doing the same thing. Well, they're up here as well. So right. staff up here, offices up here are being affected by it. Right, right, right. Yeah, and I think that there's a, I think we need to be very aware of that. And, I, we, I, and I've talked with you extensively about the issue about making sure you're selling the value of your work. Because otherwise, continuity planners, other resiliency programs, even though you can say how important we are, uh, we're a line item on a on a spreadsheet, and if things get tight, we might be one of those departments that starts losing people. People need to think about how they're selling value all the time. Uh, mm-hmm. So please, I talk about that a lot, but I want to remind our listeners that it's really important that you have a really good value speech to spread, you know, to spread what you do. Uh, turnover is going to likely continue, and of course, with turnover, and and we're seeing that with layoffs, but this turnover issue really makes us then really have to rely even more on continuity plans for, you know, looking at our standard operating procedures. Do we have things well documented? As people are either being laid off, uh, seeking other employment, being uh, going through retirement, you're losing a lot of brains, a lot of knowledge. Is that captured in a SOP within a business continuity plan for a particular group or department? So that's another thing that we need to really be thinking about as we're shifting in this current future of work, which I think is really, you know, destabilizing. Can you take 30 seconds and just define what you meant by SOP, what that is? For sure, the standard operating procedures. So ideally mm-hmm. what I would expect to see when I look at some continuity plan, especially for really time-sensitive, mission-critical business processes, is there is captured in that uh, business continuity plan a clear process about how certain things get done. So, for example, if you're looking at banking, they might be how you close the book of business every night or how you essentially are balancing the checkbook or how you might be doing certain business processes so that when somebody comes in, it almost becomes like a, a, a job aid or a training tool because there's actually really good documentation about what are some of the key things that person did. Uh, and many of my clients, when I look at their business continuity plans, their SOPs are often either not there at all or they're puny. I mean, they just don't say much. And so an SOP is another one of those things. And when you're talking about contributing value to what we do for a living, people retiring, people getting laid off. Oh gosh, that's not, we know we've captured what they do. It's captured in a continuity plan because that's what you expect them to do when we have uh, an impact to our organization. So that's what I'm, when I'm looking at an SOP, that's what I'm looking for. And I don't see them well-written very often, mainly in my banking clients that I see it. Does that answer your question? Okay. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Great. I just want, I didn't want to assume that everybody out there knew what an yeah, SOP yeah, yeah, was. Yeah, no, good, good. <clears throat> Thanks for that. I always appreciate clarity. Uh, a shorter week God, wouldn't that be great if we could actually, now you're starting to see that there's a lot of churn or interest in a shorter week. There's been some nations that have been experimenting with a four-week week, four-day week, I should say. Um, and the question would be, how would that impact continuity if you're in an organization that is contemplating that? So this is kind of a different version. I mean, just because you're, just because you're only technically having office hours Monday through Friday, Thursday, but that means any kind of office hours, right? They could be in the office, hybrid, remote, whatever. But still, there is business continuity that's seven by 24, seven days a week, right? So if indeed you actually do go to a shorter work week, which would be great, wouldn't it? To only have to be signed up <laughs> four days a week. Oh my God. Then how could that impact continuity? And what would you do? Uh, would that impact? What people would be expecting from you would it impact your overall continuity plans. What about your ability to, to reach people? Uh, you're going to have a lot more people if they have three days off going places, right? Instead of mm-hmm. staying at home because, you know, they have an option. They have three days now instead of just two. So all of that could actually begin to impact what our continuity plans would look like or how a recovery might occur. So that's something to be thinking about if your company is moving in that direction. 
And if they are, of course, I'm jealous because I think that sounds like a great way to live, right? <laughs> yeah, me too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It, yeah, it yeah, also yeah. increases the risk because yeah. the you it's already about what seventy two percent of the of hours during a week are non business hours. So if right. you go to four business days, that percentage goes up, which yep. means even more time now that if something happens, it's going to happen when people aren't around. Right, as you right. pointed out. Right, and so I think there's a there's a lot of issues related to that. So if you you are expecting people to be available to be able to support things remotely, uh, if there's a crisis or come in physically, I think you just need to be really aware that don't make assumptions that people are going to be at home. Yeah, especially if they have the opportunity to go other places. And I don't know about. Uh, you, but certainly here in the United States, we're seeing the greatest number of airplane flights daily, exceeding the highest we ever had prior to the pandemic. People are going places. And so that could easily happen in relationship to a, a crisis that occurs and folks are not available for you. So don't make assumptions that people are going to be able to help you. Uh, the freelance in the gig economy, there's a lot more people that are freelancing Um it was 57 million as of January of this year. There might be even more with layoffs now, but that's 36% of the workforce in the United States, people that are freelancing. So people that are actually doing it at their leisure, right? Versus actually being required by the employer. So this is actually becoming an issue because some companies are hiring freelancers that are doing critical business processes. Yeah, why not, right? Mm -hmm. So what does that mean? What's the backup for them? It used to be that we always have a primary and a secondary person, but if you have a bunch of freelancers, they don't owe you anything, right? You don't. Yeah, that's right. They don't owe you anything. So if you are utilizing freelancers in this sort of gig-based economy, what does that mean for your organization? And what does that mean for your continuity plans? Uh, it could have a big impact. Or if you're doing crisis management, who's going to be actually, uh, just because you might have some critical people that are actually are freelancers that sit on a crisis management team. Anything is possible these days. So think about that when you're thinking about people coming to help you. And you you may have a bunch of these people come and help you. you. They get a whole bunch of stuff done. You feel great. Everybody's a team. And then all of a sudden their contract ends. Right. And now they're all gone. And you're almost back to square one. All that knowledge right. went out the door. That is really an important observation. And I think I would say to if you are utilizing people on contract-related work, Yes, that's really important. Everything leaves with them unless you've thought about that in advance. It's a really great, great point, Alex. Number six is really interesting. And certainly um, with ChatGPT now being out since November, I, I hope everybody's playing with that. And I'll talk about that uh, just in a moment. But the rise in robotics, uh, machine learning, large language models, and all the AI, you know, are, are you thinking about what that means in your plans? So robotics is a good example. Many warehouses, many manual labor-related um, manufacturing jobs are now moving towards being fully robotic. That was planned way before the pandemic. But when the pandemic started, there was a real escalation, especially in warehousing and in distribution centers. Uh, that's also appearing, though, in manufacturing. So instead of having... One person assembling things, there are machines that are assembling it. Now there are people watching the machines and managing the machines, but there are a lot less of them than all those people that used to assemble the screws and the, you know, the boxes mm -hmm. and all of that stuff. So how is the use of robotics or artificial intelligence really fitting into your plans? Have you thought about what this means? Uh, you know, if there's if you have a large supply chain related issue or a lot of manufacturing, if you have robotics that die and you have a lot of that that happens where there's a problem, you know, is there is there a workaround? Is there any kind of solution that you can do? Or do you just sit with your hands on your lap until those things can be fixed uh, and think about a cyber attack that could impact them? So what does that mean? Um, because I'll tell you, we are moving towards this robotic age without much thought about what it means mm -hmm. and what it means to recovery. Well, as somebody, uh, I, I was talking with somebody just a little while ago um, at a restaurant, I think it was the bartender or someone that worked there. 
and they got talking about this AI and robotics and um, the way she responded mm-hmm. almost reflects back to what you were saying in our first segment about yep. the individual impacts saying, you know, if they take over, I could lose my job here because now they can set up something at the bar that can mix drinks without me. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. There are machines already <laughs> in Japan that are pouring, that are robotic bartenders. Yeah. They're not over pouring. They're not under pouring. They're doing exactly as they are instructed to do. Yeah. Um, there is, yes, uh, <laughs> there is a huge shift. And and so I used to, you know, naively think, well, okay. Um, so a robot, robot's not going to replace me because I'm not sc- putting screws in machines or I'm not making cappuccinos at a bar or something like that. But now you look at the issue of chat GBT. Have you been playing with chat GBT at all? No, I haven't. Ah. Not yet. So this is the homework assignment. And I'm sorry I didn't think about this because I could have brought up my account and we could have asked, asked chat GBT a few questions. I, I do. I've been playing with chat GBT and that's, this is the, now the arcane version, uh, which is still chat B, chat GPT one chat GPT four is out uh, only for those people that have special accounts, but you can ask it amazingly almost anything. Uh, I've, I, you could ask it to, 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 I, I've asked it very specific questions related to our field. It's still kind of clumsy in it, but it's learning. So ChatGPT, all you have to do is Google ChatGPT, go there, and just open an account. What's very funny is that when you do that, you have to enter in your, of course, your uh, email address and pick a password, but then it makes you uh, ask answer a bunch of questions to make sure that you're not a robot, which I think is pretty hysterical because <laughs> you're talking to one, right? <laughs> oh, my God. So... Why I think this is interesting is that ChatGPT is it, it. I find I find the the large language models that are out there now just fascinating and incredibly frightening because they, I mean, they have consumed all of the knowledge of the internet. So just think about that, right? All of the knowledge of the internet, and they can do all kinds of immediate processing. So when you go to ChatGPT, you get your account. Start, first of all, by asking really simple questions like, you know, I'm going to Mexico this uh, week and give it a little, and what should I be doing when I'm there? It will give you a full list of everything you should possibly be doing. Or what should I be thinking about if I'm going to San Diego or something like that? So start with simple things. You can start to ask it very uh, increasingly specific issues. You can ask it to do a bunch of issues uh, research related to health. You can have it start doing research related to all kinds of things. And it will start answering your questions within a second or two. You can have it write poetry. You can have it write poetry in Shakespearean language. You can have it do it in languages other than English. Hmm. It's mind boggling. So how is that going to affect us? You, you could say that you could probably write a standard Continuity plan, not right now, probably, but pretty soon, was artificial intelligence. You could probably write a communications plan, crisis management plan for certain things. You could write a, a playbook, as it's often called, for certain or run books for things in technology. Those things are around the corner. And what I find fascinating is that we need to be, and, and Many clients of mine are already starting to use the equivalent of ChatGPT in call centers. Hmm. Because they're pretty efficient. So you're starting to see them in all kinds of places. So the question will be, when that starts to arrive, how is that going to impact our plans? What does that mean? I mean, I could see that I mean, there's a there's a style in the writing, and this is what I've noticed with ChatGPT. There's a, I'll use the word like, it's not really a word, but kind of the unhumanness of it. You know, mm-hmm. there's a there's a cadence. There's a, and you can actually get apps to determine whether something was written by AI, AI or not. And part of it is is the cadence of the sentences, the kind of the rise and fall of the use of the verbs, 
the it's it's colorless though, right? It's not like somebody like a human who injects energy, if you will, currently. But I think it's important to really think about play with, understand what it actually means to us in our field. Because this is, we've just started to scratch the surface. And I could, you could see that there are many jobs that will be augmented by them, by the use of AI. And you could also argue there'll be some that could be replaced. Yes. And I'm talking about college educated, even things like reading x-rays, which is being, there's a big issue right now in medicine about this and reading pathology slides. They actually, uh, there's actually some studies where they're actually having a pathologist read a slide. Let's say you're, you've had surgery and you're going to be um, concerned about a cancer diagnosis. And so the pathologist does the report, but they're also using AI to see how the AI would read the report. And they have found that in some cases, both in x-rays and also in slides, that the AI will actually see something that the human did not. Hmm. So then the question would be, would you still have the human read the slide and then you'd have the AI do kind of another check, which is another interesting idea. But I think this is the kind of thing that we are going to be thinking about and it's going to impact us societally in ways that you and I, frankly, Alex, can't imagine. Yeah, But it also has the ability to do all kinds of things. And when this starts to be mass produced and is out in the universe, you can sort of imagine the power of it, of it, the good that it can do. And also, if you think social media is bad societally, think about chat GPT or other big, large language models and how the impact of what that could do to society is pretty mind-blowing. Mm-hmm. We only have four minutes left, believe it or not. I'm not surprised. <laughs> I'll talk about two things. Let's see, I'm talking about two more things and then we'll stop. I want to talk about supply chain disruptions. We certainly saw a lot of those in 2020 and the future of work, but this is going to be a big issue. China's now out of zero COVID, but they're still having issues in the country. So we all need to be doubling down on supply chain issues. If you're not doing that already, you need to be on it. And then lastly, uh, I would say your your organization, it's not in our field of making these decisions, but things about reshoring or offshoring to different locations. Many people moved all their work to Asia. Uh, we saw what a problem it was to have that so far away. Now there are companies that are bringing work back into North America, specifically places like Canada and Mexico in particular. And there actually are Chinese companies that are now building manufacturing facilities in Mexico because they can actually get things across the border rapidly and not have to deal with freight supply chain related issues. So if you're in an organization where supply chains are a concern, the question is, are people raising this question? This affects our continuity plans. It affects what we do for a living. Are people looking at reshoring either back in country in whatever country you live in or to a nearby country? that may be less expensive, but puts it in closer proximity than China, which is where almost all manufacturing seems to have fled to. So I think this is a big issue for us to consider when we're looking at our continuity plans. These eight things are really driven, are being driven by the pandemic and everything is escalated because of that. So on that note, I'm going to be quiet. It's like a whole new world. <laughs> it is a whole new world. You know, the, the pandemic didn't just uh, make change like when it came to health and uh, your personal behaviors, but it has had far reaching impact right. into other things. I don't think a lot of people would have thought. Right. Right. You know, like the, the offshoring and some of the uh, the other bits, the, the AI piece, especially because now uh, authors I know are complaining too, saying that, well, now someone can just write a book by just telling you know, putting in some criteria or whatever, and there right. you go, they got a book. Right, right. It's, yeah, there's there's so much that has changed driven by what happened really out of the pandemic. A lot of things might've been moving in that direction, but escalated rapidly. And so I think we as mm -hmm. continuity professionals, we need to really think about this because our work is going to be very different going forward. 
in a way, I don't think we are continuity professionals anyway, I anymore. I don't think that's really a title that applies to us. I think we've become something else. And I don't think we have a title for it yet. A proper Yeah, because I think the broad I agree with you. Resiliency isn't it. I mean, that's the buzzword of today, but I don't think that's it either. Yeah, I, I don't know what it'll be, but it it seems uh, you know, our industry is definitely changing quite fast because we have to reflect changes that are going on in the world, in our right. communities, in our office spaces, everything. We have to be on top of all of that. And as they're changing so fast, we're changing. We're not simply looking at in case there's a flood. You know, yeah. it's way beyond that now. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And I think that's why I, that's why I always like to talk about these issues, because I think we as an as a as a profession need to keep pushing the envelope and we need to think way beyond our toes. Yeah. And I think on that note, we've come to the end of the show. Regina, thank you so much. Uh, once again, um, for anyone who has listened to uh, Regina and I over the last 35 uh, episodes, uh, we didn't get through all the slides again, did we? <laughs> Go go figure, right? Yeah, we so we have so many things to talk about, right? Yeah, we'll talk about poly crisis next month. That's yeah, yeah. There's yeah, always that'll something. Be, that'll be next month's topic. <laughs> Regina, thank you so much. Always a pleasure to talk to you. Alex, the same as well. I hope you stay well, stay sane, and I look forward to visiting with you again next month. Yep, stay safe uh, in California and stay dry too. Thank you. Number fourteen, <laughs> atmospheric river comes tomorrow. Yeah, unbelievable. And only a couple of months ago, we were talking about a drought. Right. <laughs> Thanks, Regina, and everyone listening and watching. Stay prepared, everybody. Thank you for joining us for Preparing for the Unexpected. Please tune in for another edition featuring your host, Alex Bullock, next Thursday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time and 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. We'll see you here next week.